Welcome to Expert Extra, a new feature of the Inside 254 podcast, where we sit down with an expert in a field to help us and you make sense of current events. We hope you enjoy it. I'm sitting here today with Dr. Lee Francis IV, a self-described indigenous poet, activist, educator, and comic creator. Lee's family is from Laguna Pueblo, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. And he has created three businesses that focus on creating, disseminating, and celebrating indigenous comics. Lee owns Red Planet Books and Comics in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where we're sitting right now. He also founded Native Realities Press, which is a publisher focused on indigenous creators and characters in comics and books, including two of our favorites on the podcast, Dear Woman Anthology and Six Killer. Oh, absolutely amazing Wonderful. comic. I can't wait for the second one. Um, three years ago, Lee also started Indigenous Comic Con, which is going strong, and it runs again this November, yes? Yep. Okay. So, Lee, thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today. I absolutely. really appreciate it. Thank you so much. So, I want to start, actually, with your story. Sure. You clearly love this medium, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> there's some love here. Uh, when did you first become interested in comics? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. The, the mythology that I like to tell is uh, that I remember one of the first experiences that I had was here in Albuquerque at Durand Central Pharmacy right down here on Central. Um, they had an old spinner rack. And my dad and I used to go down there for lunch or breakfast and whatnot. And and I would be able to pick out one of the comics that, that was there on the spinner rack. And so I actually was, I was a huge Marvel fan uh, growing up. Um, and that, and, and you know, when we were in growing up, I remember stopping at comic shops when I was a kid. And I remember, you know, just various, uh, you know, opportunities picking up uh, comic books here, there, and everywhere. My folks got me comics. It wasn't a super obsession, but it was just something that naturally developed. It was part of my life, and it was part of my lifeblood. It, you know, I didn't. I don't think I went. I went full comic collector nerd. Although I did collect comics, it wasn't something that was that was necessarily a huge component of of like my my identity. I didn't identify as like a comic nerd. I was just kind of a general nerd, I want to say. My dad was an early adopter of technology. We had a TRS-80 in the house, so I played video games. Oh, wow. And, yeah, old school. <laughs> uh, my dad was, you know, we, we, my dad loved pop television, so all of those old shows that we now all reminisce about, I was up on that, and music, and etc. So all of those pop culture genres was what factored into all of my identity and existence, and then family members playing role-playing games and, and all of these pieces uh, were, were, very, were very critical to my growing up. And, and that doesn't rule out. I was, I was one of those you know, rare nerds. I did athletics. I liked to run and play and play football and do all these other things. And I wasn't the star or whatever, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed my, my moments and my time with that. So, so there was a lot of pieces with that. Um, but those early days at Duran's, my dad never had a problem with comics. I know that I've heard stories of people that have all, you know, their family's like, oh, those are terrible. And, and I, my dad, if I was reading, my dad was very excited. Um, and so that was, that was one of the, 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 the key memories that I have uh, when, I grew, when I grew up about coming into this world of comic books and popular culture and whatnot. So let me ask a follow-up question to that. When did you first see yourself as an, an indigenous person 
represented in a non-stereotypical way in a comic book? Ooh, that's a tough one, because I'm not entirely sure that I can remember that. Um, where I remember seeing it very distinctly and clearly was Predator, uh, in terms of popular culture. So the Predator movie, Billy Soul yeah. is the native character that's in that. Uh, and he is the first guy to uh, recognize the threat of the Predator because he has traditional stories from his people. The Predator, when the Predator comes, they hunt the greatest warriors on Earth, right? Or the greatest warriors in wherever they do because that's the whole part of the Predator's hunt. And, and so Billy has these traditional stories that have been passed down from him about how the Predators came down in, in pre-colonial times. He's the last one on the, on the, the uh, Earth space. You know, to, uh, to to last within that particular show, you know, into the movie itself. So that one was really dynamic for me because you saw Billy, and here he is. You know, he's standing on the bridge and he's cutting himself, and the, you know, and, and he's the last one to face the predator before Arnold gets to him, and he gets the the predator's, you know, ultimate, uh, what is it like, award of like, you know, he gets his his skull and spine ripped out, which is like, you know, the predator's like, oh, you're a worthy warrior, um, but he has no feathers. He has no, you know, there's no fringe. He's one of the soldiers. He's one of the regular guys. Um, and he's a badass. And that, for me, was probably the first time that I recognized it. I don't think I recognized it really in comic books. Um, and now I've seen more comic books. I, I just, mostly because I just missed some of the comic books, because I was really a mainstream comic kid. Mm -hmm. So I remember seeing folks like Forge uh, in the X-Men, Danny Moonstar from some of those early ones, but they were very, I won't say they were stereotypical, but they, there were particular tropey aspects to their characters. There was a lot, I mean, Forge wore a lot of fringe, you know, with the moccasins and the dangly stuff, and when he was being native, you know, there were the native moments, right? And then they really decided to bring that out, and then other moments they just didn't have it at all. And so those, those aspects and avenues were, I mean, I remember them, but I don't feel like I gravitated towards that. Um, and then I remember other distinct moments when it was really stereotypical, but I still like got a, you know, I thought it was just like really exciting. Gen 13 with the character Rainmaker, Sarah Rainmaker from that, um, you know, as a 13-year-old boy, like she's all hot and, and she's a lesbian and that was like exotic. And she's native, yeah, like that was really exciting. But I don't, I, I can't remember growing up within the comic book realm, anything that I gravitated towards of saying, that rep represents me, that's my identity. Also being Pueblo does, doesn't help in that aspect. There are not a lot of Pueblo characters, because we're not like the Plains Warriors or anything else like that. I'm like, oh, the comic book that I would have read would have been like, and today's harvest was amazing. We grew some <laughs> corn. Like, that's not going to show up in a comic book, right? So, um, and I know there have been plenty of native characters in these comics, but there was never anybody that I, I I grabbed onto more than you know Billy was the you know Billy and Predator was the one I did. That's a so good anyway. that's a good example too. Yeah. That was a powerful scene too. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that. So talk to me about Native Realities. What was your intent? Well, what is your intent with your press? And and why why did you start it? So I have a career in education. I worked with Native youth for uh, it's going on 20 years at this point, uh, and Native communities, including my home community out of Laguna which is where I started teaching. And one of the things that I recognized within those communities was really the lack of, of resources, literature resources, and especially scaffolding resources, right? So you have a lot of picture books, you have, and then you have a, a sprinkling of YA, and then you literally just make this huge jump into adult literature. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you're looking at Louise Erdrich, you're looking at, you know, uh, uh, like, who am I thinking of? James Welch. Like, this is stuff they're teaching in freshman and sophomore college classes. But because it's the only thing that's there, oftentimes, that's what we sort of, back, we would back in and, and squeeze that into our high school classes and, and then the 9 through 12 stuff. But there's a lot of kids that are not quite ready for that. And so there needs to be, what, what I kept recognizing, seeing, I mean, I kept looking around, I was like, I grew up with comic books. So many of us have. And where are those in, tar in terms of native literature, where the native existence, identity, and experience are the central premise of the story? That was what was missing. There was no sense, like, there, you know, there were native, additional native characters, which is great, but it's a lot of sidekickery, which I hate. And so it was very much missing, and I, I wanted to see that. And so, you know, then that was just my educational background. And I've been working with Native writers for the last 15 years. My dad founded an organization called Wordcraft Circle of Native Writers and Storytellers. I grew up in that organization, so I know the majority of Native writers in the communities and, and wanted to be able to access and engage them in a way that really focused on how do we change the world and change the perceptions of Native people utilizing popular culture. Because that's the way that I know how we access young people. Right? Whether it's forced on you because somebody thinks a comic book is good for you, or whether it's you just seeking it out because you walk into a shop like this and you're like, wait, there's this amazing native character with like two knives and can shoot fire from his hands on the cover of this thing? I gotta have that. So that for me was the big driving impulse to get us started. And there was a really, uh, there's some really keen comic book creators, native comic book creators that came uh, out of Phoenix Comic Con where they were all meeting, including Arrogant Star, who is a lot of my partner in crime uh, in many, in, in a lot of this work. Uh, and, you know, she runs uh, Super Indian, has been incredible at doing that, longest running native comic book on the web, you know, sort of over the span of time. She and I got together and started joking about, like, creating a comic and, and, like images and things that we could put together and, and, and it's developed into this uh, going on almost 10 years that I've known her and, and worked with her as a colleague, uh, as a mentor and some of the work that she's accomplished. So it's been, it's been really profound and now we get all this new generation. So we had two, there were, there were two facets to why we started this. One was to get more stuff in the field of pop culture because I believe that that is the one way that we make change. Um, the, the pop culture fight is the invisible war that nobody recognizes. When we think about structural racism, structural colonialism, and what's happened with young, you know, native people on reservation systems, is that, un, you know, uh, uh, overlaying all of this is a propaganda tool, right, that tells native people that they're elements of the past, that their history stopped in 1890, that it's all cowboys and Indians, and that really no natives exist anymore. And so that can lead to all sorts of things about land reclamation and isolation, marginalization, missing murdered indigenous women because of a lot of, because of this, because of this popular culture element. So we're trying to change that. The second part is trying to professionalize the industry. Right, so for us, we want Native people to be able to have access to jobs at Marvel. I don't want our people to continue to be consultants because that's the big thing with Native folks and it, and it partners up with the fact that we're all dead anyway, right, in quotes. So we come into this space and nobody wants to actually hire a Native person to write a mainstream comic book. They don't want to hire a Native person to illustrate a mainstream comic book, but will certainly bring you in to consult with us so that we make sure that we get the culture right. So we started this company so that uh, emerging comic book artists and writers, Native, uh, Indigenous, North, South, you know, Central, United States, and anywhere, 
could have the opportunity to sandbox, to cultivate their skills, to play with the stories that they want to play with, tell the stories that they want to play with, so they can develop their portfolio, so that when all of a sudden you see Marvel saying, or DC saying, well, we just don't know any native people in the industry, we can point to dozens and say, here's your binder of native people that are doing this, and they're good, and you need to hire them. Because this idea that you're giving us lip service about wanting diversity or culture needs to stop. We need people in the industry, and even more so for us, is, is not only just like starting them in the space, but then moving them up along the line so they're in the executive positions so that they can actually create that change in their spaces. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, I love that you just said that. Thank you so much. I completely agree. I think our listeners will agree with you as well. I mean, we're trying to educate people on getting more the indigenous perspective across all mediums, all genres, you know, right. actually privileging that, right, and taking it out of the margins and putting it in the center. Right. And that's something that as you know, sort of white settler, right. we're not, that's not what we do, and we need to be doing that. We right. need to be doing that. And what you're talking about, the industries, I was wondering if you were trying to make inroads, because when I see what you're doing from the outside, it looks to me like you're trying to decolonize the medium. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I'm throwing an academic word around, but yes. I mean, that's, that's what I'm seeing. I mean, do you see yourself as ish sort from, of doing that? From my academic I mean, perspective, <laughs> like, that's exactly where I'm coming in okay. from. from. From the artistic and creative perspective, I look at it and say, like, there are so many great stories to tell. Why are we not telling the stories? Yes. Like, I don't think we need to come in. Uh, I do come in <laughs> with very much an activist perspective and saying, like, listen, you know, we, we the, you know, it, it needs to be equitable. Um, it needs to have the the access into the spaces. But I absolutely believe that the access is not determined by the identity, right? Simply because I'm native, I shouldn't just be able to walk in. I need to be good. I need to be able to write. I need to be able to illustrate. And I got a bunch of people that can do that. That's the part about creating the access. The access is that there's a lot of people that are just being ignored. And I think that's what gets confused in a lot of the work, you know, a lot of the world, this identity world and these identity politics that we live in, is that it's as, as if we're coming in and saying, well, we, we just give us the handout or whatever like that. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want a handout, but I want a seat at the table. I want a seat at the table so at least I can I get the opportunity to prove myself. And you know what? If I don't prove myself, then fine. That's on me. But but I also, for me, because I'm an educator, it's about creating the training ground so that we, we can come in with the best possible, that the stories that we tell are the best possible stories, and that it's not one, you know, we're not fighting over one piece of this pie. It's not a zero-sum game. There is room for all of this. There is room for some amazing stories. And when we ask and we say, hey, please don't keep telling cowboys and Indians over again, because I can point to a dozen or more, you know, thousands of other really awesome stories about native people in a modern identity, in a you know whatever identity. I don't need to see Red Wolf, you know, where it's a native from the past, cowboys and Indians again, you know, in the future. So he's now you know King Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court and native, and written you know it's like we love Jeff Reggie, but written pretty terribly, you know. And and that's the part where like the pushback was like, well, natives are just gonna hate. It. I was like, yeah, we don't like it because our people aren't. We don't get to write it. We want to be able to write these stories. We want to be able to write our own stories. Tell them in the way that we tell them. Uh, and for my company, for the work that I do, is working to and striving towards excellence. 
which is the standard, right? Which is how you work in the industry. So it really is how you work in any industry. I mean, that's exactly absolutely. Um, okay, so the names. Yes. Native realities. Red yep. planet. Yep. So uh, this maybe is part of this intent. That, yes. Right. These are very purposely. Like we always talk. We talk about <clears throat> on the podcast sometimes naming. Naming oh, is yeah. important, right? Language is important. It matters. Yep. And when you're talking about, you know, indigenous people want to represent yourselves through your own stories, your own ways, in excellent manner. But the language you chose for your company, for your yeah. store, it matters. Can you Native tell realities, me about this? I've owned Native Realities uh, for almost going on 20, uh, it's very close to 20 years at this point. Uh, it was the origin, it was one of the first online juried journals uh, in the world. Um, and we focused on Native writers. Uh, at the time, I was a 22-year-old writer that had graduated and, you know, sending out my stuff and getting rejection upon rejection. So I says, you know what, and I've always done this, I'm, I'm just going to create my own format so I can publish myself. But I didn't do that exclusively because in the meantime, what I did was say, well, let's get other Native writers, let's get all these great professionals that my dad has worked with, that I've grown up with, you know, for seven plus years at this point, all these people that I've interacted with, and let's get their work out online. And so we ran, I think, for two years, two to three years, quarterly. And uh, I learned how to do web development. Um, but the name came from my dad, so strikingly enough, because we were trying to figure out how we were going to name the, this new journal. And he was like, call it Native Realities. Like, my dad just loved to make names for things. So he was like, <laughs> call it Native Realities. And I was like, well, that's, that's interesting. He's like, because we're talking about the realities that Native people exist how they're actually existing, not the mass media or stereotypical presentation of this, but what are the actual realities? And we show that through our poetry, through our stories, through our, play, you know, our plays, et cetera. And so, so I've had that since 2000, since 99, 2000. Uh, it's been my email handle, it's been everything that we did. So when we started the company, I was like, well, I think this is native realities. I mean, essentially what we're doing is, is the same thing, and especially showing it now with the visual part. Red Planet actually came from my, my partner, um, who, when you heard the beep a little bit earlier, that's my, my, my business partner, Aaron Cuffey, just walked in. Uh, we were going back and forth, and we were getting real close to opening the shop. We didn't know what to name it, and I have to get the website up. We're trying to get the information out of there, and so we're like texting back and forth, and I'm like, I, what are we going to call this thing? Because we don't want to call it Native Realities as well, because we needed some separation, and we went back and forth. <laughs> he's popping through, and he's just like, sends me a text, and he's like, Red Planet, and I was like, that's it, Red Planet Books and Comics, because this is a red planet. This is where we exist in this, whatever, 80 by 20 space is, you know, is an indigenous space, so it is Red Planet. Uh, not only that, but then you add, add the, like, the, you know, science fiction elements of, like, Mars as the Red Planet, and, and so, and there's other companies that have, you, you know, they're Red Planet, so we're actually Red Planet Books and Comics, is the full title of, of this shop and the company. But yeah, it was just this wonderful stroke of, of, of brilliance and genius. And, uh, and so then we, you know, I was like, that's it, and developed the logo, and then we painted the side of the store. And, and you had, I know you just told me this outside, because when, mm -hmm. when, when I got here, of course, I immediately um, got Lee and said, oh, tell me about the outside, because the outside of your store mm -hmm. is beautifully painted by yes. a local artist. Joseph and Stacey, he's Pueblo from here, he's amazing, he's a great uh, muralist and artist, uh, uh, I'm just thrilled that we were able to get him in and be able to paint the side of our, our building. And there are some symbols on the outside. Uh -huh. So uh, there was one that's 
five oh five and a, and, a, and a cent right. mark, and I wondered what that was. Uh huh. And it is your area code. It's the area code. So it's a it's an identifying marker for the folks in Albuquerque. We you know we're the five hundred five. We call ourselves that. There's you know all sorts of representational. Plus the way the outside of the building looks is almost like an old comic book, where the you know the the price is on one side, so it's five hundred five cents. You know, which was a nice little tongue in cheek type Clever. of thing with that. <laughs> um, and then we were talking about on the, the other Pueblo side. Pueblo Batman and the sixteen eighty. So. Again, like the <laughs> like the comic books, you got the imprint and whatever, and so there's a little sort of design which is Pueblo Batman, and then underneath is six, circa 1680, which is uh, looks like issue 1680 or number 1680, um, which is the date of the Pueblo Rebellion, uh, which is really important for Pueblo people. And so this being Red Planet, especially since I'm Pueblo, Joe is Pueblo, it was a great way to to you know, and this is you know, and Albuquerque's in Pueblo territory. So it was a way that we could do that indigenous as well as you know like Pueblo style nerd and represent who we are in this space. It's fantastic. I love yep. it. And it's a beautiful front frontage. I mean it really is fantastic. I love it. Calling all high school and college teachers. You asked us for transcripts, resources, and advice on how to teach the subjects we talk about. We heard you and created Inside 254 Teaching Guides. High quality resources are expensive and we know you don't have much money. So we priced our guides cheap. Nothing is more than two bucks because we want to help you teach what we teach. Toxic Masculinity and the first Native American Myth Busting Guide are now available and more subjects will roll out as fall semester progresses. You get lecture notes in the form of a narrative transcript of our discussion of the subject, ready to print handouts of writing topics, discussion questions, and a bibliography resource list with active links that work. Go to teacherspayteachers.com or download the TPT app and search for Inside 254. Download your own Inside 254 teaching guide today. Let's shift over and talk about now mm -hmm. Indigenous Comic Con because sure. I read an interview that you had done. You have a good story about the Denver Comic Con, I gather. Mm -hmm. Can which, you share that? Which with one? Us? When we started with Denver when Comic Con? When you started. Oh goodness. <laughs> yeah. So Denver Comic Con. The first year we were invited for Denver Comic Con uh, to be able to come up there because we're only the native. We're the only native company still uh, that produces exclusively native and indigenous content. We don't produce anything else outside of that. A lot of other publishers do, do a little bit of sprinkling of everything, and, and, and we love to see anything coming up that has native folks, but we produce this exclusively. So the first year we went up to Denver Comic Con, it was myself, Arrogant Star, and Marty Tubles. And I got up there the first day, and it's, this is, this is Comic Con, like, this is big convention. The entire convention center, the trade floors up, and we got this tiny booth, you know, standard booth, 10 by 10. And on side of us, you know, spreading up high to the ceiling is, is you know, this, this company that's doing comics and this company that's doing toys. And I was like, oh my god, this is terrible. We are so underprepared uh, for this entire experience. And we had one book at the time called INC's Universe, Indigenous Narratives Collective Universe, which was this collection of Native comic artists, all single pages, we put it together, and that's all we had. We had boxes of it, but that's all we had. So we took this eight-foot table, and I just basically took the comic books and stretched them the entire way down the line. And at the time, Aragon only had one comic book herself. She just had the Super Indian Anthology. 
So she had stacked those up on one corner and I had brought up a whole bunch of like stuff from my, from my house, from my mom's house, pottery and like, you know, some, some Pueblo designs and, you know, various things and our, our Pendleton and kind of laid that out, tried to give us this thing, you know, and I'd go running to Kinko's to make copies and these big posters and stuff. And so, you know, so we, we wanted to put all that together. Um, and that was, you know, that was the first experience that we had at a Comic-Con. And then we began to have conversations. And the conversations about the fact that when the INC folks come, came out of Phoenix and the experiences that I was having, and then I'm reading online about the native game designers, um, and they, they're going to their own singular conference, and the writers that I know that are doing genre work that are going to their own conferences, and the actors and television folks that are going to the film festivals. And I kept looking around being like, why are we not all in the same room? This all, this, all of this work swirls around each other, and Native folks have to exist in multiple spaces. You know, Elizabeth LaFonse, who did Dear Woman, not only is she a comic book artist, she's a fine artist, I put that in quotes because I think art is art, but she does, you know, sequential art, she does, you know, stationary art, uh, she's a video game designer, she's a storyteller, she's, you know, an she's incredible scholar. writer, she's a scholar, but she's a right. professor. Yes. <laughs> So we, because our communities are so small, and because a lot of us take on multiple roles, we are often interconnected within various different genres and aspects. And so the idea that we could, uh, that we needed to create something. And there have been a few conversations. Eric and I were talking about this, talking about with some library library folks about like, well, let's bring out some comic book people for this. And uh, I sat down and said, well, I have a hole in the schedule uh, in in November. Uh, it's Native American Heritage Month. Let's go ahead and do it. And uh, and we picked a date, and we had some partners in town in Albuquerque here to be able to do that. I called up. First person I called up was Jeff Verreggi, uh out of Seattle, uh, and and he and I had a relationship, and asked him to be on board because he had a pretty you know he had a high profile because you know he was doing Red Wolf at the time and his own work, <clears throat> and he agreed to be we'll say our quote unquote first guest. And uh, that was in, I think, April of 2016. And we put the thing together in eight months, in the first Comic-Con, and we had 1,000 plus about 1,200 folks that showed up that first year, 50 vendors, 20 plus guests, uh, three full days of panels, workshops, cosplay, music, uh, everything under the sun um, that you could think of. Kids area, it and was- And that's at the, and you held that That was at the NHCC, National Hispanic oh. Cultural Center, okay. that first year. Okay, okay. This last two years we've been, this coming up mm -hmm. one, and the last year we had that at Isleta Pueblo Resort Casino. So they were gracious enough to be able to work with us on the space. And, and it's grown. And it's yes. grown. Last year we had about 1,600 folks. Uh, we had 80 vendors. We had uh, huge ballroom spaces, you know, about 20-some guests again. Uh, it was, you know, um, kids' area films, movies, panels, workshops, cosplay. Again, same kind of concept. Um, this year we're going to be bridging into, uh, we got a whole new interactive experience section called Electric Chaco which we're gonna do, we're imagining Chaco Canyon in a distant future, but really it's about fun and games, so that Chaco Canyon was about bringing everybody together, and so we've got a whole experiential piece that's gonna go with that, you can walk through, there's gonna be playing stuff, there's vendors, there's video games, where our video game section is gonna be, there'll be some VR probably, and we have a, uh, a fashion show, Indigenous Futurism's fashion show, we're working with young people on a thing, on a concept called the Museum of Indigenous Imagination, where they do makerspace type stuff and just basically just put together some awesome 
<laughs> like like recycled fun maker material with engines and lights and motors and hot glue and soldering and all of that. Um, That's amazing. Have you been in, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, um, maybe I'm assuming too sure. much, but have you been in contact with the, the Skins Workshop up in Canada? The uh, they're doing the game game design workshops for indigenous? Potentially. I need to know the folks that were involved, but like, yeah, I mean, more than likely we know some of those particular folks, or at least we've had some yeah. peripheral contact. Uh, well, of course, now I'm wondering, you know, this is growing and yeah. it's getting so much bigger and it's wonderful and you want to make inroads and you want these bigger sort of companies like Marvel and DC and bigger yep. to be, you know, to recognize and yep. to incorporate, you know, indigenous artists, designers, writers. Yep. Are they coming uh, to attend even and learn? We're getting a few, I we're hope. getting notice and we're getting a few <laughs> folks that kind of come out. Folks that work in the industry are also a part of this, which is also great. They're not necessarily doing native-centric stuff all the time. They were in industry professionals, which is exactly what they need to be doing, right? So they're not like an industry professional that's doing a native book. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, I write for this book, and my job is to illustrate that book. I'm not going to be throwing in, you know, there's no, there's no native identity for this character. Mm -hmm. So you get folks like Jim Terry that come in, Tim Truman that come in. Uh, we show you Avitre, who I work with on Six Killer. I mean, she's a professional. She's worked under Howard Chaikin. She knows IDW. You know, she, they won an Eisner for, what was it, uh, Little Nemo in Slumberland. They just won a PRISM Award uh, for her work with, with Dan and Heath Justice. Um, so, like, you know, we are working with industry folks, and I think we're continuing to get more and more notice as this goes forward. We just got a, um, uh, we got one of the viral videos about the work. Now this put out a whole I saw that thing on last us. week. Yeah, last week. Uh, yeah, last week. Yes. Last week. Uh, no, this week actually. <laughs> this week. It was yeah, just not that out. long ago, yeah. Which is wild because, you know, I mean, like we get some good traction on our sites and things, you know, I've, I've watched things go around. It's just like 200,000 views. That's incredible. Up to this point. And I was like, Getting wow. the word out. Well, and for me, That's I was awesome. like, man, why am I getting all, because <laughs> I, I started getting pinged and then the, the author, Mike Madden, hit me up. He's like, oh, we've gone live. It, he wasn't like a back. He's like, we just went live. And I was like, oh, that explains why all of a sudden I'm getting all of these notifications. That makes more sense now in my life. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> then we posted about it. So. There's just so many wonderful stories. This is what I always tell our listeners is this is a story you haven't heard before. Right. right? Because we are so, we as, you know, settler culture, we are so... Um, I guess embedded with you know our perspective sure. on what or who native peoples are, where they are, when they were, blah blah blah, on and on through the educational structure, through all the entertainment mediums, everything. And the one thing I, I love about what you're doing with all of these businesses and projects is it really it allows not just indigenous peoples to see themselves represented. Um, I want to say more accurately, but it's also, I mean, it's fantasy world, too. Mm -hmm. But these are stories that are probably time-worn around kitchen tables and, you know, a lot of indigenous communities of stories you said that you want to tell. And they're stories that we as settlers have not heard before. And right. they're incredible stories. I mean, just they're great stories. They're just great stories. And they're beautifully, you know, produced and written, and the artwork is incredible. They're just, that's, I mean, that's it. It's right. worth spending your money on. Like, yeah. it's just a good story. Like, you'd spend your money I on agree. any great story. I know you agree. Right? <laughs> so, 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 I know that um, literacy outreach is one of the side things. So, uh -huh. just briefly, can you tell me some of the literacy outreach work that you're doing um, yeah. in, in, the, in the community? Yeah, a lot of it is really just the outreach to schools. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for that scaffolding material. Yeah. 
this is, teachers are really looking for this type of material now because they recognize the value of it. It's this whole shift. I'm sure it'll shift away because then everybody's going to say how comic books are terrible again. It's the pendulum. But right now, <laughs> we're in a very much a pop culture age and we will take full advantage of that. I don't believe it necessarily goes anywhere. It's like, you know, we did swing dancing and then we had the swing craze in the 90s. There's still, a, there's still swing dancing. It's a swing, there's a swing group here. It's well attended, you know, here in Albuquerque. So I don't think it goes away. It's just how much emphasis we're putting on it. But we're going to utilize that, and it's a way to engage young people where they are in a visual medium to scaffold that type of literacy. Um, so that you can say, okay, you've gone from picture books, there's some YA stuff that has you know, more basic language, um, early reader type of things, and then this really fast jump. So right in this middle section, it, it allows you know, a young person to come in and build concepts and build constructs around seeing the images. And if the image is told correctly and done, done appropriately, then you can actually see how, it, how the story develops, right? And then you can start picking out the words and seeing what's going on. And you develop a particular, particular intellectualism and concept around, construct around comic book design and whatever. Um, and so because of that, you get this, you know, you, you get a, 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 a space where educators can jump off of to be able to build uh, a, a literary or, or a literacy base for their communities. Um, because it also helps, we, I mean, we know the studies, you know, if, you, if you can recognize and represent yourself in that space, then you can kind of see where that, you, you, you're more likely to engage in it, right? It's not, it's not the given, it's not, not always going to happen. Kids, you know, kids and young people and adults are going to engage how they're going to engage, and they'd be like, come, you know, I come in kids and just like comic books. <laughs> I would rather read a metal magazine, and they'll do that. And I was like, great, read your magazine. So that's how we're approaching it. Yeah. No, that's great. And finally, what is next on the horizon for you, for the con, for the press, for the store? What's what's upcoming? Uh, so for the store. Uh, one of the things that we're really trying to do is expand uh, the reach of the shop, and so we're developing a catalog currently. Uh, we are going to be doing uh, indigenous-centric, um, uh, native-cultivated uh, books, comic books, magazines that we can get out to schools, libraries, museums, anybody that's looking for specifically written by native people, featuring native people, uh, that they can add to their curriculum. Uh, it's what we've heard, and we've, when we've done our market research, what we've heard is it's very difficult uh, for educators and for folks in these professional positions to try and find cultivated native resources. You get a lot of folks that are writing native stuff and you'll see that in the catalog and I believe there's a lot of value to non-native written materials, but that's not what we do. We traffic in native materials written by native people and because we want to privilege that and that's, it's, it's just another element, it's just another facet, it's part of the marketplace of making it easier for folks to find the resources that they need. Plus there's some books that are not listed like at the front side of the catalogs anymore that still should be getting a run. I mean, something like, uh, it's the 20th anniversary of Jingle Dancer by Cynthia Ledge Smith. I mean, that thing is still in production, it's still in print because everybody wants it. Like, you know, we want to be able to put that up into this catalog. So that's what Red Planet's running with. Um, <clears throat> Indigenous Comic Con, third Indigenous Comic Con, November 2nd through the 4th uh, this year. Uh, Isleta Resort and Casino. Um, we're also expanding globally, so I'm jetting off to Australia uh, in, the, in the next few uh, months to go in there and set the dates. So we'll be running an Indigenous Comic Con with our brothers and sisters over there in Melbourne, Australia. 
So we, we're going global. Um, and then we have a couple of other expansion plans on the horizon, which we haven't announced yet, but keep an eye out for that. Uh, they will be coming very soon, because we're going to be running, I think, three indigenous comic cons next year, uh, including the one in Australia, uh, as well as the one at home. So we're calling this one Prime now. We're going to steal from PAX and say this is PAX Prime. <laughs> Okay, I need to make Indigenous a request. Please come to the East Coast. We're going to try. I and would we, love to have and see you come and we, Indigenous Comic Con on the East Coast. Ah, uh, yes. We have some inroads. So we <laughs> are, we're that. trying to we're trying to work that out. So one of the things that were coming out of the company uh, that we were discussing a little bit earlier, I was just out in Philadelphia. I'm working with the library company. They received a grant from the Pew Cultural Foundation, Pew Arts Foundation, uh, Center, Center for the Arts, Pew Center for the Arts to uh, tell the story of the Paxton Massacre. So the Paxton Massacre happened in 1763, um, and essentially uh, a bunch of raiders from Paxton, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, came out to the Conestoga Indian Territory, which is uh, just outside of Lancaster, about three, three miles, two, three miles out of Lancaster, and massacred uh, the group of native folks that were living there. Uh, several of the tribal members that were there, because there were a whole you know, uh, mix of communities, Susquehannocks, um, uh, you know, Lenape, like a whole bunch of folks that had sort of moved into that space. So it's not necessarily like a Conestoga tribe, but it was Conestoga Indian Township. And so the folks that were in Lancaster, they were all moved into the workhouse. And after Christmas, when they were still doing celebrations, the Paxton murderers came out there and finished the job, uh, killing off the rest of the the Conestoga Indians, uh, you know, there was another 14 that were there. Uh, they were basically just led into the workhouse and they were killed. Uh, this was right, this is a decade before the, the, you know, the 1776 and the independence movement uh, for American independence. And so a lot, of the, a lot of the things that you see, this is really, the, I mean, America does things by precursor. So a lot of the language that you see about why the Paxton murderers were really you know, upset about everything, about these merciless Indian savages on their borders, on the frontier, because they were frontiersmen, essentially, frontiers folks, and so they were dealing in the middle of the Indian Wars. But rather than fighting the, the, the folks that could actually fight back, they went and murdered a whole bunch of men, women, old, older men, women, and children to show how angry they were. And so there's a bunch of history around that that's never been told. And again, these stories that need to be, that need to be heard so that we can reconcile our histories, so that we can reconcile the fact that this is, you know, this was not part of a frontier fight. We understand that there were battles and, 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 and that we know that that happens, but this was straight up murder. This is something that shouldn't be allowed, but it also has echoes throughout American history. And as, a, as American people, you know, as half American, whatever you want to categorize me as, uh, the idea that we have to reconcile our history that, that it should be out there. And using a medium like uh, graphic novels and pop culture is really important. So we just got back from Philly, we're working on that. Uh, Hero Twins number two, Tribal Force number two, Six Killer number two at some point. Uh, uh, what else? We'll, we'll have Anthology number two, so that's our, you know, we'll be sort of collecting and cultivating things. Um, we're working with Jonathan Nelson on The Wall of Jonesy and trying to get the rest of that story out there, so we're very excited about that. Uh, and then we've just got a bunch of other stuff in the pipe. We've got some digital media stuff that we're coming out with. So it's uh, amazing. Games, we're doing some game design type of research. So it's, it's really exciting and it's a bold and an incredible future. That's wonderful. It's a good time. It's a good time to be you. It's a good time to work <laughs> in a comic shop. I, people are like, what do you do? I was like, I make comics. <laughs>
I don't, I don't tell, I don't tell the adults that. So the kids love that. When I go to the Apple Store, they love that too. And the adults ask them, they're like, "What do you do?" I'm like, "I publish." And they're there like, "Oh, that's amazing. Very respectable. Very respectable." Right. But you make comics. But I make and, comics. And it is good. Yeah. It comics, is very games, good. toys, collectibles. That's what we do here. That's fantastic. So if, if folks want to come and buy some comics that sure. are created by indigenous makers and books, um, you, want, you can go to nativerealities.com. Nativerealities.com. Or Red Planet yes. Books ABQ. Red Planet Books ABQ.com. We will have our catalog up here hopefully within the next couple of weeks. Excellent. So just stay tuned. We're, we're getting there as fast as we can. It takes a lot to chronicle books and yeah. get all the relevant information up in this space. But we're working on it. But in the meantime, if, yeah, visit Nativerealities.com. Com, and you can find everything that we produce. Uh, we got a lot of fun stuff. But yeah, and if you're in the Albuquerque area, if you're coming through, come down to Red Planet Books and Comics and actually Comics. come to the store. It's a pretty cool place. It's a great frontage. It's a wonderful space in here. Uh, it is worth visiting as yep. well. Uh, and you know, you can also follow Lee on Twitter at Lee Francis IV. IV. Francis Ford, Francis <laughs> IV. And, uh, and Lee, thank you so much for spending time. Thank with you. me and for talking about this Absolute all your pleasure. wonderful work. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks for listening to this Expert Extra. For more information on our podcast and to find episodes, please visit inside254site, that's S-I-T-E dot wordpress dot com. You can find us on Podbean and iTunes, and please follow us on Facebook and Twitter for all the latest. Thanks for listening.